Star Walker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Hello, fellow gamer. Welcome to episode 159 of Game Master's Journey. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker, and on this show, we discuss the craft and art of game mastering. I've been running RPGs for over 25 years now, and I produce this show in the hopes that you can benefit from my experience, my triumphs, and my mistakes. I've got a great show for you today. This is a bonus episode of Game Master's Journey. So you might have noticed that you got two episodes this week, and that's because this is something extra, something special. So I am doing this bonus episode because of the patrons. Uh, This was kind of an unannounced milestone on the Patreon or or also kind of a uh, reconfiguring of the Patreon uh, rewards. I used to do a monthly podcast just for the patrons called the Patron Cast, and I have recently decided instead of doing that, I'm going to do this instead. So what is this, you might wonder? This bonus episode, I'm going to start out doing these once per month, and it's going to be a regular Game Master's Journey episode. We're going to talk about the things we normally talk about on Game Master's Journey But this is an extra episode in addition to the regular weekly episode. And my hope is with these episodes to do something different than I normally do on the show. I'm not going to make all the bonus episodes the same. So the different thing that we do in a particular month may may change from month to month. But do something a little bit different. So today, for the first of these bonus episodes, I'm going to talk about some feedback I've received and cover some what I'm calling micro topics. So I get a lot of feedback from you on the show and on topics I talk about and questions and suggestions for future topics. And I've had quite a few of these things accumulating that either I don't feel are enough for a show all by themselves or even a segment all by themselves or I just haven't had a chance to get to them. So I thought today for our bonus episode, I could see how much of this stuff I can get through and uh, cover some of these things that that maybe would never get covered if I was waiting till I had enough for a full episode or might just take a long time before I ever got to them. So we'll see how much of this we can do today. You probably know about the live stream. Maybe not if you just uh, listen to the podcast and you don't pay attention to the community on Google Plus, then maybe you don't know about the live stream. But I did a live stream uh, this week or so ago, and I'm doing these once a month, once a month as well. It will be the first Monday of every month at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. They last for an hour. I stream them on YouTube. You can get in there, get in the chat room. You can ask me questions suggest topics. And just for an hour, we talk about Game Master's journey related things, RPGs, being a Game Master, stuff like that. But it's on YouTube and it's live so that you can interact with me and we can have some interaction. Something else I hope to do with that in the future is to occasionally pull in people from the audience into the live stream itself to talk face to face 
And if or when I'm able to do that, any patrons that are in the audience will get first dibs at joining me on the show. So I've done, I, I've actually done two of the live stream now. The, the first one was just kind of a test. And the second one, which I, I just did uh, earlier this month in June, the first Monday of June, I did one. Uh, we talked about all kinds of stuff. Uh, we talked about the new products that have been announced for Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything and the Tomb of Annihilation. We talked some about West March's campaigns. We even talked about uh, Mike Merle's crazy uh, house ruled initiative system and, and what I think of that and all kinds of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And I was really um, pleasantly surprised how many people showed up for that because I didn't announce it uh, much ahead of time, only a few days ahead of time, I think. And I was prepared for no one <laughs> to show up. But but actually quite a few people were watching and we had some great interaction. It was a fun time. So uh, just Finishing up announcements, um, I already told you about the live stream, Game Master's Journey live stream, first Monday of every month, 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. That will go an hour to 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. And then on every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific time, I live stream my D&D game, and we're currently playing The Hidden Shrine of Tomawakan, which is one of the adventures in the Tales from the Yawning Portal supplement or collection of modules or whatever you want to call it. So every Monday I stream that from 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific. And then the first Monday of the month before that, I do the Game Master's Journey live stream. So the first Monday of every month, you can hang out with me from 4.30 until 9 if you want to and uh, get your RPG fill for, for that day at least. Also, if you're a patron, go check out the Patreon feed uh, I've made some additions to the patron rewards and, and restructured some of that. So check that out. And if you're not a patron, go check out my Patreon page. You can find the link at starwalkersteals.com. And I'd really like you to consider, well, no, I'd really like you to become a patron. I'd really like you to support the show. It takes time and money to produce this show. And I think you're starting to see, at least if you haven't seen before, how the patrons are making it possible for me to do more with the show and make the show better. We're having the monthly live stream because of the patrons. I'm figuring out how to make a video aspect to the show thanks to the patrons. And my actual plays that I do on YouTube is thanks to the patrons. And the fact that I've been doing this show every week for I don't know how many years, over two years now, I think, is also... <laughs> Because of the patrons, because because frankly, if I didn't have the patrons helping me out with the costs in time and money to produce the show and run the website and and everything else that I do, um, I seriously doubt I would still be producing Game Master's Journey, and we wouldn't you wouldn't be listening to episode one hundred and fifty nine of the show right now. So if you're listening to the show, if you enjoy the show, um, become a patron. You know, help help support the show. Um, it costs me money to do this and, um, you, you can get a lot of benefits for $5 a month, which is less than a dollar an episode. Most months, especially now with the bonus episodes, I'm putting out four, five or more episodes a month. And, uh, you know, as far as entertainment goes, it's about the cheapest form of entertainment you can get other than maybe buying a book to read. So, you know, give a little back and, uh, we'll keep the show going strong and keep improving it. 
And another great way that you can help me improve the show is to give me feedback, gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. If you like something I, I'm doing, if you don't like something I'm doing, let me know. And I'm always happy to hear from listeners uh, feedback on the show. All right. I think uh, I think that's all our announcements. So I'm going to switch windows here and let's find some things to talk about. You know what? Actually, before I go to that, um, let me go to the Game Master's Journey community and see if there's anything in there I want to talk about. Because, you know, something else I want to encourage you to do if you haven't already done it in addition to, you know, supporting the show, is uh, to join our community and join us in our community. And speaking of which, uh, I almost forgot to thank my new patrons. We were just talking about the Patreon. And in fact, I just got a new patron as I'm recording this right now. So let's see. Let's let's uh, get all these, these wonderful people thanked. So I want to send a thank you and a shout out to new patrons, Jeff Seavers, Wesley Griffin, and Charles Sandusky. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for becoming patrons and supporting the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. All right, so let's go to the Google community for Game Master's Journey. You can find a link to this in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com. And you can come hang out with other listener GMs and myself. And uh, we have a lot of fun on here. We talk about all kinds of stuff. You can post topics. People share their homebrew worlds. Uh, they ask questions about GMing. They, they share experiences they've had, trade war stories, things like that. Recently, uh, I did the episode on mapping. So we've had some people sharing maps and and map resources. So it's just a great place to go to network with other gamers and learn and share your knowledge and also find out what's going on with the podcast. It's probably the number one way to stay abreast of what's going on with the podcast is to join our community. So I, you know, sometimes I hear from people that seem to have issues joining the community. Um, People see that it's a Google community and they like freak out. You know what? It's not like any or it's not unlike any. It's no different than any other website you go to on the Internet. You just go to the community on your web browser. You can find the link in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com. It's just like any other web page you go to. You use your web browser. You surf around on the page. You read whatever you want to read. You follow links, all that good stuff. The only thing that's at all different is if you want to post to the community, then you have to join. But it's no different than joining a Facebook group or joining a forum or joining a subreddit or anything else you might do. You just click join the community. It sends me an email and says, hey, so-and-so wants to join. I approve you and you're in the community. It's that easy. <laughs> it's so easy. I, I don't know. I think maybe some people like get impatient because they... They try to join and they can't post right away, but um, I have it set up so that when you request to join, I have to approve you because um, I do that so that we don't get spammers joining the community and posting a bunch of bull crap to the community. I'm usually really good at approving people. I get notifications on my phone when people join. I'd say nine times out of 10, I approve a request within an hour 
usually it's less usually it's 10 minutes or less honestly uh it's rare that it takes me more than an hour to uh approve a membership and i don't think it's ever taken a day or more so i mean have a little patience you'll be in there before you know it and while you wait you can read everything the only thing you have to be a member uh for is to post so while you're waiting for me to approve your membership uh you know, read all the great stuff in there. Another thing we use a community for is, is I and, and some other people will post inspirational art. So anytime I see a, a cool piece of art that inspires me for D&D or Numenera or any game I might play, I will post it to the community. And I have a category just for art. So if you just want to see a bunch of images, you can go to that category and you can see all the images. All right, so let's go through here and see if there's anything I want to talk about. Some discussion of new unearthed arcana. So this is another thing you can use a community for is I I will usually post uh, when there's a new unearthed arcana and then a lot of times people will discuss it, what they think of it. Oh, well, I guess here's something we can talk about. Uh, Sky Slayton, which is one of the members of our community and is a listener GM, uh, posted a blog post about mass combat rules and this blog post was someone that come up with some mass combat system and um sky was just kind of asking what we think of this what we think about mass combat in general and mass combat rules and kind of how we handle it and and things like that and and we've had quite a few people respond and let's see here so yeah, I mean, you can go to the community and check this out and you can check out the blog post, um, check out that system. Some people uh, suggest different things they do. And then, you know, <laughs> something maybe I, I should tell people um, that, that probably people figure out, but maybe people don't don't know about me is I really like to play devil's advocate. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or it's just a thing. But I like to play devil's advocate and and especially in like communities like this, it's just this tendency. People like to jump on band, bandwagons, you know. So, for instance, maybe someone posts about a latest Unearthed Arcana and, you know, everybody's commenting and say how much they hate it. And they, oh, this Unearthed Arcana sucks. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. And I don't like that. And it seems like like the the people get this kind of bandwagon mentality and it's like once two or three people post kind of the same opinion, like for instance, I don't like this new unearthed arcana, then that's all you ever see. Probably I'm guessing because people who like it don't want to say they like it because, you know, everybody else is saying they hate it and they don't want to get ganged up on by people saying, Oh, you're dumb because you like it and I hate it or whatever. Or people who were maybe not sure, kind of on the fence, are being convinced by all the people saying they hate it that, oh, I, I guess I don't like this. So I, that's at least my rationalization for why I like to play devil's advocate. So a lot of times in a situation like that, where like, say, for instance, everybody's saying they hate this unearthed arcana, I will want to make a post and say, I actually like it. Or here's some things I like about it, partly just to get more variety to the discussion. So it's not just everybody saying, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Cause that's boring. Like who cares? Like you're not going to learn anything from that. And partly in case there are people with other opinions 
who are maybe being dis- dissuaded from sharing their other opinions because it seems like everybody is thinking one way. So I will often play devil's advocate. So a lot of times if everybody's giving a certain opinion, I'll give the opposite opinion or at least make an argument for the opposite opinion. Or another thing I'll often do that I think is kind of the same thing is if everybody's kind of looking at something a certain way, I'll try to come in with a different um, perspective. So for instance, this post, you know, was a discussion about mass combat systems and what are different ways we could handle mass combat. And so I kind of came in and, you know, stirred up the crap a little bit, I guess, and said that I'm not really a fan of mass combat and I don't think you need or maybe even want a system for, for mass combat. So that's, I don't know, that's kind of what I do sometimes. And, and I don't know, maybe it annoys people. Um, I hope that it, I mean, my hope and my intent is for it to stimulate more conversation. I hope that it doesn't do the opposite and kind of kill the conversation because <laughs> I sometimes seem like I'm coming in out of left field or something. But there have been, I think, two now uh, approaches to mass combat done in the Unearthed Arcana that the, the folks at Wizards have done. Um, I didn't really care for either of them. And honestly, I don't, I don't really see a need for it. And I don't personally have any desire for a mass combat system for D&D or any other RPG like it. To me, you know, the, the focus of the game, the, the focus of our story that we're telling in a game like D&D is the player characters, you know? So the thing with the mass combat is if you have this combat with hundreds or even thousands of people fighting, and if you have a rule system to approach that and to handle that, then is your focus really on the player characters anymore? It seems like now your focus is on these thousands of other people and not on the player characters. So that's, part of it for me and you know like usually the the player characters aren't themselves going to fight hundreds or thousands of enemies right they they're going to be maybe in the battle doing combat but the combats that directly involve the player characters i think usually or always can be handled by the rule system that's already in the game we don't need a different system for the player characters, because they're not fighting a hundred people at once anyway. They can only fight. I mean, how many people can one character realistically fight at the same time? Right. And, and I mean, maybe we could argue um, what that number is, depending on how you do facing and space and whether you use a grid or not, but it's going to be a fairly small number, right? And it's going to be a number that can be handled by the D&D system as it is. We don't need a new system to handle that. So, you know, the mass combat, we're not really talking about the PCs. We're talking about everybody else. So we want, or people who say they want mass combat, they, we want a system not for the, what the player characters are doing, but for everybody else, what they're doing. And, and we want a way to resolve that in a gamey way, or at least that's what I think people want. So the, like my approach to that, um, and honestly, it's been a long time since I've done a combat like that, but I've done quote mass combats in the in the past where you know they the the player characters are part of a larger battle involving hundreds or thousands of people and how i've handled that in the past and and how i would handle it now 
is I would focus on the player characters and what they're doing and resolve that, you know, using the normal system, however you do it. And as far as all the thousands of other people, what's happening with them, I just narrate that as a DM. I don't need to roll dice to know what happens there. Like I already know in my mind when I approach a situation like that, I know how the battle's going to come out if say the PCs don't show up, right? Like let's say there's going to be this, this battle and let's say the, the player characters have a stronghold and a huge mass of enemies are coming and they're going to besiege the stronghold. I have in my mind before I even run the session, if for some reason the player characters just left and went and did something else and they're like, well, whatever, who cares about the stronghold? We'll, we'll let all of our followers and men at arms and squires and all that. We'll let them defend the stronghold. We're going to go adventure. If they did that, I already know what's going to happen. I didn't roll any dice to know that. I just thought about it as a dungeon master and, and looked at the defenses of the stronghold, the people manning the stronghold, their abilities, and then the people attacking and their siege weapons or whatever they have. And I just sit with it for a while and say, okay, if there's no player character influence, if this just plays out like it would in a novel, what would happen? How would the battle go? Who would win? What would be the casualties? Blah, 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 blah. And I just figured that out creatively, you, you know, using logic and, and what I think makes sense. And then I have that in the back of my mind. And then when I run the session, the what the player characters do can influence or completely change that. So it's like, well, just without any player character intervention, the the battle's gonna go this way. So maybe the group that's attacking the uh, stronghold of the PCs, maybe they've got trebuchets and they've got ballistas and they've got catapults and, you know, they, they've got thousands upon thousands of soldiers and they've got giants and they've got dragons. And, and it's like, okay, they're going to obliterate this keep. You know, it might take a few days. It might maybe even take a few weeks. Probably not. Probably take a few hours to a few days. So, so I've decided like, that's, what's going to happen there. You know, the, the stronghold will, will be breached. The bad guys are going to win. And maybe some of the PC's followers will escape if they run away at the end. But you know, that's, that's the way it's going to go down without the player characters doing something to change that. Now, as we go through the encounter with the players, you know, they start, you know, maybe they're going to go kill the dragon or they're going to go destroy the siege engines or whatever they're going to do. And as they do those things, I decide, okay, how does this impact the direction this is going? And at what point have they done enough that it actually changes the outcome, right? And just handle that as you'd handle anything else as a DM. You know, I don't need a, a bunch of systems or dice rolls or mechanics to help me do that. And I think that if I tried to do that, if I tried to use a system, whatever system I use to do that, instead of knowing ahead of time already what's going to happen and just reacting to what the player characters do and deciding what happens next, like you always do when you're running a game, if I instead came up with some kind of system or use some kind of system to determine that, it's just going to slow down the game and the players are going to get bored while I'm figuring out what's happening with all these units, right? So really the only possible benefit I see to having a mass combat system or the only possible use I see for it 
is if you were in a situation where you wanted the players to have control of massive, you know, units of, of multiple people or whatever, and you wanted to do kind of like a war game scenario where the player characters are, are controlling troops and units and things like that. And then you as a GM are controlling troops and units and you basically want to turn it into a war game. Now that doesn't like, that's not a crazy thing to do. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons grew out of war gaming. That's where D and D came from. The original combat rules for D and D was from a game called Chainmail that was a miniatures war game. I mean, that's what it was. And, and what we now consider D&D was taking that war game experience and say, hey, instead of playing units, let's play a single character and let's, you know, develop that character more at more like a character in a story would be as opposed to, you know, these units in a war game that really aren't characters in that way. They're just like like playing a video game. They're just a, a thing on the board that has hit points and defenses and things, but it doesn't have a personality. It doesn't have a family. It doesn't have feelings. You know, you don't role play it. It's just a war game. Okay. So, you know, it's not like crazy that some people might want to like bring the war game back into D and D and say, Hey, it'd be fun to at least maybe have a session where we have this massive battle. And in addition to playing, D&D, we also play a war game. And, you know, if that's something that your players are into and that you're into it as a DM, if everybody at the table wants that, then, yeah, maybe try to find some kind of mass combat system that's going to work and that you're going to enjoy and, and see how it goes. But unless that's the case, unless every single person at the table wants that and they know what they're getting into, I would recommend against it because, you know, that's not what most of us that come to play D&D or any other RPG, that's not what we're signing up for. We're not sitting down to play a war game. If we wanted to play a war game, we'd go play a war game. We're wanting to play a tabletop RPG. We're wanting to play D&D or whatever the game is. We're wanting to play our character, right? So the time that we're spending playing this war game is time that we're spending doing something other than what we signed up for, other than what we came to this campaign wanting to do. So if all your players aren't on board with that, you're going to have at least some of your players be really unhappy and, and bored and not enjoying what's going on. So, you know, really the only way I could see this really working well is if you have a bunch of D&D players or whatever game you're playing. We're just using D&D as an example here. If you got a bunch of D&D players at your table who are also avid war gamers, and then you might be in a situation where they'd be all about that. But the problem with that <laughs> is that any mass combat system I've seen for D&D or previous editions of D&D or Pathfinder or anything like that, any of these systems I've seen, none of them were very good. And I think the problem is if you have a player who is not a war gamer, they're going to find the system kind of confusing they're maybe not going to be into it. They're probably not going to enjoy it as much as just playing their character normally, even if they enjoy it at all. And it's just going to seem weird. Like, Oh, now we're playing a different game. Now I have to learn a different game. On the other hand, if you have a player who's an actual war gamer, I don't think they're going to like it either because they're going to say, well, this system is too arbitrary. It's too 
ambiguous. It's it's not a good system. This isn't nearly as good as insert their favorite war game here or whatever war game they're playing, right? I mean, D&D's mass combat system is not going to be as good as Warhammer 40K's combat system because it's a war game. That's what the game was built to do. So I would assume it, it has better mechanics for that than, than what D&D has. So I think you'd be in one of those situations where you're trying to make everybody happy, but you're really making nobody happy. You know, the normal RPGers aren't happy because they don't want to do this war game thing. And war gamers aren't happy because, well, this is a pretty sucky war game. I'd rather play a real war game. So, you know, I think one way to approach this is, is look at, for instance, the mass combat rules in the Unearthed Arcana and ask yourself, would a hardcore war gamer enjoy playing this or would they say these rules are or these rules are kind of bad? So I think, you know, if you're wanting to have just a, a big combat that the players are part of and you want it to be epic, you know, you, you can't do it. And I don't think you need you know, a special system or, or worry about learning a war game or anything like that to do it, to have um, the experience that you really want to have. Now, there are some people that want to have the war game experience and, you know, that's fine for them. And if everybody's on board with that, then then go at it. But what's probably more true for most of us is we don't so much want to have the war game experience. We want to have the experience of the player characters being part of this huge massive battle, like imagining a scene from one of the Lord of the Rings movies or one of the large battles in game of Thrones. Like we want that, right? We want that experience for us and our players. That's what we want. We don't want the war game experience, which really is so abstracted. It's nothing like the visceral battle scenes of the Lord of the Rings movies or, or game of Thrones. It's nothing like that. And I think actually an RPG has a better chance of, of capturing that high action feel than, than a war game would anyway. But then, you know, I mean, D&D is, is made for, you know, we play one character where, you know, this massive battle, we've got thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people fighting. Like, like how do we approach that? And I think the, the key to that, and, and I've already talked about it really, but but as an example or or a way to guide you and a way to approach it is look at how in those examples I, I just named, look at how they approach it, you know, in uh, one of the big battles in the Lord of the Rings movies or one of the large battles in Game of Thrones. You know, it's the same kind of thing as an RPG. If you think about it, we, we have main characters like we've got Jon Snow right in Game of Thrones and, and he's helping to defend the wall. Right. And there's this huge battle going on. But for the majority of the runtime of that battle, we're with Jon Snow and we're with the other main characters that we know. And we're seeing their combats, their individual combat. So Jon Snow might be fighting five guys, right? But he's only fighting five guys. Like the rules of D&D can handle a fighter fighting five guys. You don't need a different system for that. Now, occasionally you know, the, the camera pulls back and we see this whole battle and we see all these people fighting and that's all CGI anyway, right? It's not like there's really all those people fighting, right? And, and, and so we want that too, right? But, you know, that's just the DM narrating saying, oh, well, while you guys are having this fight, you know, the, the four player characters fighting 20 orcs or whatever, all around you, 
men are fighting and dying and orcs are fighting and dying. And you just narrate that. You just describe that. You don't need any dice or systems for that because it doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with the player characters. It doesn't honestly even have anything to do with the outcome of the battle because presumably the player characters are the heroes of the story and they're either in command and influencing the battle that way or they're among the most powerful fighters and combatants in the battle and they're influencing it that way. But presumably how the battle is going to turn out is based on what the players do anyway. It's not based on what the NPCs do. It's not based on how the DM rolls for NPCs fighting other NPCs. I mean, that A would be boring. B would be time consuming and C would kind of suck because it's supposed to be about the players. It's a story of the players. It's not the story of your NPCs. So it doesn't really matter. It's all window dressing. It's all smoke and mirrors anyway, just like in Game of Thrones or the Lord of the Rings, you know, how that battle goes is really, you know, we see the key moments, right? We're zoomed in on the characters involved in the key moments that really decide that battle. And the rest of it is just window dressing, right? It's the same exact kind of thing. Another example would be If you're reading like a fantasy novel, for instance, uh, The Wheel of Time has awesome, massive battles in it. It's the same exact thing. There are times where Robert Jordan will describe this big battle and men fighting and dying and, and, you know, ranks of soldiers being ripped apart by the one power and all this stuff. But the real meat of the battle and and how it goes and who wins and who loses it's down to a handful of characters and it's described from those characters point of view, which again, you know, if this were an RPG, the, the RPG system that you're using could handle that. You don't need the system for, you know, the hundreds of men being ripped apart by the one power because that's just DM fiat. Anyway, that's just window dressing the real uh, meat of what's going on. The real deciding factor is what the player characters are doing and, and probably a key, a few key NPCs on the other side, right? That they're going to duel with or face off with or, or whatever. So I think, you know, even if you wanted to deal with the, well, I want my player characters to be um, in command, right? Like, like this character is a fighter and he's in command of a legion of infantry or something like that. And I want, him to have this feeling like I have to decide what these guys do. I have to give them orders, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and how well I do that is going to influence the battle. You can still do that. And you still don't need a mass combat system. Just boil it down to some roles using what we already have, you know? So, so the fighter leading, you know, that might be like, uh, charisma roles or, um, like, like basically like leadership roles, right? Like you could decide, you know, what kind of role to make, like maybe charisma plus persuasion maybe, or charisma plus intimidation, or, you know, you might even figure out like a, like a special role, like, because you'd like, maybe you're like, well, it's really got more to do with how well he can fight and his tactics and stuff. So maybe you give him um, his fighter level and his charisma bonus as the modifier to a D20 role or whatever, you know, so you, you could do something creative like that to, to pull in what you think this character is bringing to the table to represent that. But you could boil it down to one or a few roles, make it really simple and not have to have this whole other game that you have to learn. And, you know, if you look at the most recent unearth 
arcana mass combat rules. I mean, it's like this own this separate little mini game and it's it just seems really arbitrary and just like what are we even doing here? It's the combat has been abstracted so much even more than normal RPG combat is. That it just seems like a waste of time, honestly. It seems like you could just as easily flip a coin or play rock paper scissors with the players <laughs> over what happens and it would be no more or less arbitrary and just random as the system they came up with. So that's kind of how I, I would approach it and, and how I recommend you approach it. And again, with the caveat, you know, of you've got a table full of people where at least some of them don't want to sit and play a war game for three hours or two hours or whatever. If you have players who want to play a war game or they want to try it, then go for it. And, you know, uh, Matt Colville was on the show way back in episode 101 and he just worked out a, a setup where where he's uh, live streaming some of his games now. And you can go to his YouTube channel. And uh, at the time of recording this, his most recent uh, gameplay live stream is uh, the Assault on Castle Rend or something like that. And you can watch that. And he it looks like he's come up with his own uh, mass combat system. He's got the player characters controlling units. He's got units and, you know, I will say, you know, kudos to Matt. It, it seems for for the kind of thing he's doing, it seems fairly lightweight. It, it's not eating up a, a humongous amount of game time, but it's eating up a lot of game time. And they're spending at least as much time dealing with that as they are dealing with what their player characters are doing. But I think he he did a good job of of showing you what a mass combat system in D&D could look like even if you do or don't like his particular system. So if you're curious, watch that and see what you think of the gameplay. See if you, this is something you think you and your players would like. You know, me, it was kind of deciding for me because I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, I wouldn't want to deal with this. This seems like it's really bogging down the game. It's, it's really slow, even more slow than this would have to be otherwise. And I would much rather narrate you know, what these different units are doing and maybe have PCs who are in command make a role every now and then to determine how well these units are doing or what they do or whatever um, and just kind of get on with it than, than try to use a system like, like what he's doing. And, and his characters weren't even really in command of the units. It's like they were playing the units as different characters, but their player characters weren't necessarily directly commanding those units. So, it, I mean, I don't really know. Um, I don't watch all his actual plays. I don't know the history of the campaign. So I don't know. But just watching that, it seemed to me that, that this was something that he and the players wanted to do, which, again, is the caveat, right? That Then it's awesome. Do it. Because, you know, it, like I said, it, his, the player characters didn't seem to necessarily be always commanding these units. It was just like this mini game they were doing. And it, it was an assault on the player character stronghold. So, you know, it, definitely if you're going to do a mass combat, that's the time to do it, right? Because then the players are invested much more than just some random land war that they get involved in somehow. So, you know, I, I can totally understand where if, if a big part of your campaign is the player characters uh, managing the stronghold, that you want to have this massive battle where someone tries to destroy the stronghold or take it over and you want them to defend it and you want there to be more meat there mechanically 
than just we're going to role play and and roll out some of the combats that your individual characters have in the battle. And then as a DM, I'm going to kind of deal with the rest of it. So so I totally get it. I'm not I, I don't want to come across like I'm like mass combat is bad. You shouldn't do it. But I just think with the exception of some specific situations, I think more often than not, you'd be better served by doing it more narratively. And and again, if you're in one of those situations where it's an exception and the mass combat thing is is really the way you want to go, I think you'll I think you'll know and you'll be like, yeah, this is this is what we want to do. So if that's you, then definitely check out this thread and and you can check out this blog post for one approach to it. Some people in, in the thread mention other approaches like um, using systems like like what some other games do where you have like kind of like minions or mooks or or you use kind of like swarm rules where you take 100 people and you add their hit points together. And every time a multiple is of hit points is lost, that's like a guy dies. Um, so there's some different ways that, that other games have done it and how people are doing it in D&D. Personally, I think a lot of those ways just really slow the game down and, and it it's a lot of computational load on the DM, especially if the DM has to do all of it because you're having to do divisions and multiplications and stuff. Oh, and another thing I will point out is there are a couple optional rules in the DMG that can help you out with this a little bit that I recommend that you at least look at, if not use. And one of them is the handling mobs rules on page 250 of the DMG. And it's a very quick and easy way that you can handle a bunch of creatures fighting the player characters really quickly and not having to make individual roles for each one of them. So if they're attacked by a hundred wolves or something like it's a really easy way you can do that. And it basically you, you form a group of like creatures and they attack as a single creature. So it's just, and, and actually I don't think you even make an attack role. Um, you'll, you'll have to check it out, but I think it's a, it's an automatic thing based on how many cre- like if there's this many, they hit this armor class or whatever. Um, so it's an easy way to handle it. Another good use for that is if you have like a druid in your party that likes to summon like a bunch of really low CR creatures, it's a great way to handle that because it, it prevents that druid from, from slowing down combat. I, I've done that, uh, in my games in the past. And then the other optional rule you'll want to look at is on page 272 of the DMG cleaving through creatures. And that's a great rule to use if your player characters are fighting a bunch of really weak, low CR monsters, it allows them to potentially kill multiple creatures with one hit. And, and it basically, it's super simple. Um, like good rules are, um, it basically, uh, if they do more damage than they need to hit, or to kill the creature that they hit, um, then that damage just carries over to any other creatures within their reach. As long as their initial roll would have hit that creature's armor class and you just keep applying the damage to creatures until all the damage has been used. And that's how many they kill. It's, it's super easy. So I think with those two rules and, and with the narrative, you know, uh, dealing with the rest narratively and just using those two rules to handle what the player characters are directly involved in, I think you can handle pretty big combats fairly easily and get that kind of dramatic cinematic feel that you're probably going for without everybody at the table having to learn a whole new system and without bogging things down any more than you have to. This is Matthew Colville and you're listening to Game Master's Journey. 
I want to take a minute to give a quick shout out to the patrons of Starwalker Studios. The support of the patrons makes this show possible. If you enjoy Game Master's Journey and you'd like to give a little back, becoming a patron is a great way to do so. It's because of the patrons that all the listeners of Game Master's Journey enjoy a bonus episode every month. I'd also like to give a huge shout out and thank you to my tier four patron, Mr. Steve Strickland. Let's hear it for Steve. Yeah. Yes. You the man. Thank you so much, Steve. And thank you to all the patrons. You can find out more about becoming a patron by clicking on the Patreon button at the top of the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com. Something else I want to share with you, and then uh, we'll, we'll go on to something else because, wow, I ate up a lot of time with that. Um, this is also a post from, from Sky Slayton. So this is a Sky Slayton ep- episode, I guess. And uh, he, he made a fantastic post on the community where he was talking about a way that he handles things when he has players not show up or, or that can't come to the game session. And, you know, this is something that, that if you run games for very long at all, you're going to have to deal with more than you want to. And he came up with a great way to approach it that I think is awesome and you might want to try out. So he says, one of my players won't be making our next game. When this happens, we play a one shot that I set elsewhere in the world and is usually related to wider story events. I call this the moonlighting campaign. I use NPC stats, example, the acolyte, etc. And if there is a fight, it'll be deadly. I usually aim for a TPK. The idea is to show the difference between the PCs and these, quote, normal people. Also, I can introduce different class archetypes to my players. So that's super cool. So basically what he's doing, again, is he's like player two can't show up. So the other players, he says, hey, we're still going to play. And the players play NPCs just straight out of the Monster Manual or Volo's Guide or, or whatever you're using for the NPCs. They just play those NPCs and... He tells a story with those other NPCs, maybe uh, showing a different part of the world or a different side of the story that the player characters are involved in, you know, doing something fun with it and lets them have some encounters or whatever, have some fun. And and he tries to kill them all. And and it kind of shows the player characters, you know, hey, your characters are actually super awesome. Look how how these more normal people you know, how they handle things. And, and, you know, they're not nearly as powerful as you guys are. And the other thing that that he mentions, it's really cool about this is it lets the players play with different mechanics or different types of characters. So he says the upcoming session, they'll all be bards out of Volo's guide. And I'm thinking they are three musketeer style agents of the crown delivering a sealed letter for a neighboring kingdom with the cover that they are a bluegrass band but they will be waylaid by hobgoblin agents who are working to destabilize and if possible, cause a war on the island. So that's super cool. So, you know, he's giving them a taste of what playing a bard might be like. I'm assuming he probably doesn't have any players playing bards. So he's like, hey, let's show them what this is like. So then later he posted uh, after this session that he was talking about what happened. He said, okay, so here's an update on the session. The bard party was ambushed twice with a short rest in between. All told, the swarm of beets, 
I guess that's what they called their party. I love it. Only lost one member and an NPC child while killing 13 goblins, eight hobgoblins, eight bugbears, and a veteran. Sounds pretty impressive. Now the Republic of Arland is aware of the hobgoblins and their potential allies in the Ethan court. The three remaining members of the swarm survived and I can use them as NPCs. The players know, and the players got another clue that the silver blade mercenary company is at least partially in league with the hobgoblins. So, you know, he, he got a lot out of this, you know, what could have been a lost session. He got some cool new NPCs that he can use that the player characters are going to be invested in. He, he was able to, show the players more of what was going on in the world and, and even maybe give them some information they needed. He, he was also able to let them experience playing a different type of character. He says, Oh, and the players all got to play a spellcasting class. At one point they were surround, they had surrounded a bugbear and were casting vicious mockery at him by telling your mama jokes. <laughs> so that's hilarious. And you know, that's, that's such a great way to handle it. You know, so, so often we hear people talk about taking uh, what seems to be a setback or an obstacle and turning it into an opportunity. And that's exactly what Sky has done here. You know, a lot of DMs, you know, one player, two players can't show up. They just cancel the session. They're like, oh, nobody can play because one person didn't show up. I've done that myself. So a lot of DMs will do that, you know, or you end up having a session and it's just not as fun because not everybody's there or, Maybe it hinged on a certain character and that player isn't there or whatever, and it can be a real drag. So this is a way that everybody that can make it can still play, can still have fun. You can still accomplish something relevant to the campaign you're running, but at the same time, you avoid any of the problems you might have running the session you planned without player characters you counted on being there. So I think it's a great way to handle it. Thanks so much, Sky, for writing that in and sharing that with us. What a great idea. I got a question from a listener on the website that I thought I would talk about today. This was a comment on episode 154, which was the episode Gods of Your World. It was one of my DMG discussions, and we were talking about gods and pantheons and all that good stuff. So this was from listener GM Twister, who says, Great episode. I'm currently working on a campaign where the gods interfere often and are very important in everyday life. My question is, how do I incorporate gods and religion into my game without creating a ton of friction between my players? I have a group with various beliefs and atheists, so I try to avoid discussing real-world religions. I've used Fey in the past to great effect, and I want the gods to have the same level of moral complexity and characterization. How do I avoid having these gods fall into the trap of being all good, all bad, or just one note? For instance, Zeus is pr- promiscuous. Thanks. So yeah, I, th- I think those are, are great questions and uh, I'll take a stab of Adam. So the first thing I'll say is that I just want to point out that, you know, when we're playing D&D or, or other RPGs, it's make-believe. It's fantasy. So I don't really see why a player's personal real world beliefs or lack of beliefs should matter at all one way or another, unless you have players who have a hard time telling the difference (laughs) between reality and fantasy. 
I mean, this is, we're playing in a make-believe world. It's not the real world. It, it's apples and oranges. You know, I, I mean, there are dragons in D&D. There aren't dragons in the real world. There are unicorns in D&D. There are unicorns in the real world. You know, we, we deal with things all the time in D&D that are fictitious and make-believe and, and have nothing to do with, with anything in the real world. I also wonder, you know, why you or anyone would need to even discuss real world religions during the game session. Again, it's real world versus fantasy world. It, it's not really relevant. It's not needed. I mean, sometimes you might uh, use real world religions as examples, as kind of a shorthand way to describe something. But if you have players that are for some reason offended by that or bothered by that, then just don't use real world religions as examples. You know, I mean, you could say, oh, this character, this priest has a hat that looks like the Pope's hat. Right. And and it's a really quick, easy way to get the idea of what they're looking at across to the player characters. But if for some reason a player is going to be offended by that, then just describe the hat and don't say it looks like the Pope's hat. Now, personally, my personal opinion, I think if you had a player that would be offended by something like that, the problem is with the player and not with you. A player needs to like get over it. And if it were me, I'd be more thinking like maybe this player isn't really a good fit for my group than worrying about watching every little thing I say. Because at the end of the day, as a GM, you're kind of allowed to have fun too. Well, not kind of, you are allowed to have fun too. And personally, constantly censoring myself isn't fun for me. You know, I, when I run a game, I'm there to relax and unwind and have a good time. And, you know, I'm not on the clock. I'm not working. I shouldn't have to worry so much about what I'm saying. So I game with people who are similar enough to me that they're not going to be offended by the way I talk. If I drop an F-bomb, they're not going to be like, oh my God, Lex just said a naughty word. Like I don't game with people like that because I don't want to have to be worried when I'm role-playing a character like, oh, well, this guy would totally drop an F-bomb right now, but I can't because Mary Sue will be offended. Like personally, I just don't want to worry about it. So I just won't play with Mary Sue. I'll be like, look, Mary Sue, you're, you know, it's your right to be offended by F-bombs, but it's my right not to have you in my game because I don't want to have to be G-rated in my game. You know, I'm an adult. I want to be able to play with adults. So, so you know, I, I would consider that, you know, are your players being overly sensitive? And if so, do you want to cater to that or not? Because that's a decision you get to make. But if you decide you're not going to, then, you know, do the cool thing and, and tell your player, hey, you know, this is the way I am. This is the way it's going to be. If it bothers you, you know, you should probably find a different GM. You know, don't just like make your player uncomfortable all the time because that's not cool. Like, you know, give them a heads up and, and give them a chance to, to walk away and not have to be there uncomfortable. Right. If, if you know that's what's going to happen. So, you know, there are people out there who have beliefs that are so extreme that it can cause problems, even though you're, you're playing a fantasy game. You know, I know people, or I used to know people who had a problem with the Lord of the Rings and had a problem with Harry Potter. 
because they were so religious or whatever that, you know, that was the devil or whatever. So if you have people like that at their, at your table, first of all, I wonder why on earth they're playing D and D, but you know, they're just not a good fit for the game, you know, unless you're going to remove all of that, all mentions of religion all mentions of magic from the game. And then is it even D and D anymore? You know? So, so again, it comes back to, do you want to accommodate this person or not? And that that's your decision that, that you need to make. All right. So, so that's kind of the, the aspect of the question of, of how do I deal with like offending or not offending players, you know, just avoid mentioning real world religious stuff. Cause you really shouldn't need to. And if you have players that are offended by just what you're doing with the world, then, then maybe they're just not a good fit for you or, or your world. You know, maybe they should play a different campaign or play under a different GM. I mean, you got to do what you, you want to do. You want to, you got to go where the muse takes you. Right. You know, and if you're wanting to tell these stories where the gods are fickle and, and not all good and all knowing, but they're more like, for instance, the gods of Homer, where they're flawed, very human beings. And if you have players at your table that are going to be offended by that, then you either have to not do that thing that you want to do or find different players, right? It's, it's either or. And, and me, I mean, if you want my advice, I would advise you to find different players because you, you're going to be most happy doing what you want to do as a GM. And it's not hard to find players. They're a dime a dozen. You know, it's a lot harder to find a good GM than it is to find players. So, you know, do, do what you want to do, but just make sure you have players that are, that are a good fit for what you want to do. So now as far as how you can approach, um, reflections of these differences in, in the real world, in the game world, assuming like, you know, I, I don't know exactly where you're coming from with this, but, but assuming it's a situation where the atheist person is playing or wants to play an atheist character, right? And and the the polytheistic person wants to play a polytheistic character and the monotheistic person wants to play a monotheistic character. You know, if you're in that situation, then you know, you you can still represent those things. You know, so so probably the trickiest thing or or the the least obvious thing would be the atheist, right? Like like I have an atheist player. They want to play an atheist character, but I have this polytheistic world where there's all these gods and the gods are real. Like, how do I handle that? Um, but, but you can still do it. So the, the gods are real, you know, they, they, their existence, if they're at all, uh, visible or present in the world can't really be debated. I mean, it depends on your setting. So if you have a setting like, um, like I think DM now does listener GM DM DM now, where the gods are very distant and removed, you could have like the kind of atheists like, like we have in our world where they're just like, there's no such thing as gods. It's make-believe. It's, it's fictitious nonsense, right? Because they don't have proof that the gods exist because they're distant and removed. So you, you could totally have that in a world like that. If on the other hand, you have a world more like, like my world of primordia where the gods are visible forces in the world, then you can't so much have, an atheist in the sense of, I don't believe the gods exist unless they're like delusional, right? Because it's like believing trees don't exist. It's like, you can walk out your house and see them. How can you in touch them? How can you believe they don't exist? You know, you're mental, right? It's the same thing in a world like that. 
the gods are walking the world. They're performing miracles. I mean, you can't really say they don't exist, but that, that player could still have the, the same idea and he could play a character where he doesn't deny the existence of the gods, but he denies their divinity. He denies that they are omniscient. He denies that they are perfect. He denies that they are worthy of our worship, right? The, the gods as powerful beings that exist in the cosmos in a world like Primordia is indisputable, just like it's indisputable that there are dragons out there. Like you can prove it. You could prove it scientifically, right? Unlike in this world where you can't prove scientifically that gods exist. In Primordia, you could. If, if there were scientists, they could prove that the gods exist. So it's not so much a question of do they exist? Yeah, they exist. They're, but the atheist might say, and, and I don't know, I don't know what you, may, maybe anti-theist, which is a, a type of atheist, would, would be a better term because they're not so much saying that there isn't such a thing as a God. They're saying that, that religion is bad and the worship of these beings and what these beings do to us as a people in a society is, is not good and is not something we should, we should do. So this character could say, you know, the gods are, are not all-knowing. They are not perfect. They are flawed, just like we are. They are selfish. They, some of them are evil. They are um, childish. You know, whatever, whatever your gods are like, this character could say, or even if they're not that way, but the character believes that they are, they exist, yes, they can perform miracles, yes, their pop followers can perform near miracles, yes, but I don't think that they're worthy of my worship. I don't think they're worthy of your worship. I think the world, I think humanity would be better off if we all turned away from the gods and ignored them until they went away. Because, you know, such a person might believe or know, depending how your world works, this might be a known fact, that the gods rely on human belief and worship to exist. And if every person just stopped worshiping them, they would go away or they would cease to exist. And the atheist might see this as a good thing and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to get people on my side so we can all deny the existence of the gods and at least diminish their power. But maybe if we get everybody on board, we can get rid of them altogether. So, so that's a, a possible way that your atheist player could bring that into the game and explore that in a fantasy world in, you know, as, as an atheist myself, I would, I would play a character like that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, and in fact, I tend to play characters like that, except for my player character I'm playing right now, who's a cleric. So I didn't really want to do the cleric that doesn't believe in the gods. Although, you know, you can do that too. But other than that, that character, a lot of my characters I play are, are like that. They, they don't deny that the gods exist, but they don't, think that they're worthy of worship and they think that they're actually bad for society and, and that they're responsible for a lot of the bad things that happen in the world. And that a lot of the bad things that happen in the world are because of the religions and because of what people do in the name of the gods and that we'd be better off without them. So that's me, me bringing in um, kind of a, uh, a spin on my own personal views of the real world into a fantasy world and, and kind of making it fit into that setting where it's like, well, I, I mean, I could say the gods don't exist, but, but they do. So what's the point? So, so maybe, you know, you have, you know, this, this spectrum of players and you've got the atheist and you've got the hardcore 
person of this religion and that religion and the other thing. And they're all playing characters that are representing that in the world. And they or you or all of you want to explore the conflicts that develop when you have the atheist character and the cleric and the paladin of different gods or whatever in the same party. And if that's something that everybody at the table, this is kind of like the mass combat thing again. If this is something that everybody at the table is on board with and thinks is going to be fun, including you as a GM, then, then go for it. But if that's not the case, if there's one person at that table that is like, I don't want to do this, whether it's a player or you as a GM, I would say, don't do it. And I would say, look, you guys, this is a role-playing game. (laughs) The point is not to play yourself in Dragonlance. The point is to play a character who is not you. So why don't we all get outside of our boxes a little bit and not play someone who's exactly like yourself. So we're not going to get in these arguments that are really um, uh, stand-ins. Oh, what do you call it? I'm blanking on a word. They're really just representing disagreements we have in real life. You know, because my concern with that, like let's say you have the atheist and you've got the the super religious person, that, and you know, that's who they are as players, and they're going to play that as characters, and they're going to start arguing in character about that. At some point, one or probably both of them is going to forget that they're in character and forget that this is an argument between their characters. And it's going to become a personal argument between the players. And now you've got players getting upset and nobody wants that. So so unless you have very mature players who are um, able to handle differing points of view and are able to debate and and aren't the kind of people that think that the way they think is the only way, um, which I'd like to see this group of players if they exist, that they, they'd be an amazing group of people. But unless you have that, I would caution very strongly against allowing or even worse, encouraging that kind of trickle down of their real world religious and political beliefs into their characters and um, role playing conflicts that are very similar or identical to conflicts they have in real life. Cause I, I think it's going to take you to places you don't want to go. Now, I think an, another way you can approach it as, as a GM or another thing you can think about is, is how you portray the gods, right? So, so maybe you have, you know, I'm just going to take a wild guess here and, and guess that maybe you've got a Christian at your table who is very sensitive about polytheism and, and even this idea that there are gods other than the one God that they or their character worship. And, and you're worried about this person and dealing with this person. You know, I think one way that you could approach that, assuming that you think you can work it out with this person, this person is going to be able to play D and D with everybody else um, is, is in how you portray the gods in your world and making it clear that these gods aren't the Judeo-Christian God. They're not even, you know, real world gods or concepts of gods. They're these characters that you have created in your world, you know, and, and playing up their, their imperfections and playing up their humanity for lack of a better term, but, but how they each have weaknesses and they each have character flaws and how they can be temperamental and even petty and again, for, for inspiration on, on how to do this, read the Iliad by Homer. Um, he's got a lot of that going on with his gods. And 
you know, basically in that story, the Trojan War basically starts because Aphrodite, who is a goddess of love and beauty, undisputed beauty among the gods and people, was jealous of a human woman because everybody said how pretty she was. So this deity, who should not have ever been jealous of anyone for how they look, was jealous of a human woman because everybody thought she was pretty and led to this whole war, among among other things. So, you know, I, I mean, I think if, if you do that, it you know, if you have this super religious person, it, it may help them realize, hey, this is make-believe, this is a story, this really has nothing to do with my real-world religious beliefs. It's even kind of ridiculous when you think about it. So it's really like there's no reason to be offended, right? It's it's not worth my time to be offended about this because it's so silly. So I don't know. That That's how I'd approach it. I hope that's helpful. All right. What's our runtime? Whoa, we're getting long. Maybe that'll be it. Yeah, I think uh, I think that'll do it for today. Covered a few topics there, and uh, I, I have some other topics I want to discuss, but I think uh, a lot of those are um, will probably take an entire episode to get through. I mean, my God, I thought the mass combat thing would be short and it ended up uh, being longer than I thought it would. So, yeah, this was our first uh, patron bonus episode. Again, this episode is because of the patrons. This episode is dedicated to the patrons. This is something I'm doing above and beyond the, the weekly show. And this is just bonus content for you. So thank you to the patrons all appreciation and all honor and glory to the patrons. And I hope if you're not a patron that you'll become a patron and uh, help me keep doing what I'm doing and help me to do more in the future. Well, that is going to wrap it up for episode 159 of Game Master's Journey. If you would like to get a hold of me, please visit the website starwalkerstudios.com. There you can get my email address, my Twitter, Google+, Facebook, Pinterest, find a link to my YouTube channel, find the Game Master's Journey voicemail number where you can call and leave me a message and all that good stuff. If you give me a question or feedback for the show, or if you leave me a voice message and it's entertaining or enlightening or both, I'll discuss it on the show. And if it's a voicemail, you may even hear your message on the show. So if you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for future topics, I would love to hear from you. Also at starwalkerstudios.com, you can find a link to our community over on Google where you can share ideas with other listener GMs and with yours truly, like Starwalker. Finally, you can learn about how you can support the show by becoming a patron, by making a one-time donation on the website, by using my Amazon referral link when you shop on Amazon, or by purchasing my D&D adventure, The Trickster's Labyrinth. You can find all this and more at starwalkerstudios.com. I hope that you have a chance to play your favorite RPG this week. I hope you have a chance to run your favorite RPG. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey. Until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production. Your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. 
This episode's music, courtesy of Cloudwalker, Transboy, Renfield, Stanko, and Ish. See the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey. 